This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Susie Q. How, uh, thanks for joining us, guys, tonight. Susie, how's it going? Uh, you know, it's it's going okay. I'll admit, um, I had a rough, uh, was that last weekend or the weekend before? I, it feels like it's been a blur. Uh, I had what was probably one of the worst <laughs> tournament weekends I had ever had. <laughs> you had some interesting catches. I, oh, I, I'll say I, that. If I would have been in a multi-species tournament, it would have been <laughs> awesome. Not going to lie. It would have been awesome. But uh, yeah, tournament wise, um, yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with the Madison Chain. Uh, for this exact reason. <laughs> um, yeah, tournament day, um, I completely blanked. That's you know, fair. not going to lie. It uh, it was a little rough. Uh, yeah, but uh, pre-fishing, I caught my first ever long nose gar. Completely surprised me. Like, I thought I had, like, a pike or something when I 
hooked it, you know, because it was kind of felt like a log. I was like, oh, yep, I've probably got like a pike on or something like that. I brought it up and I was just like, holy crap, that's a gar, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, well, this will be fun, you know. Yeah, I, what I do always, I do and do with that? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I always have grips with me, you know, because you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> and uh, it was it was pretty fun. And then um, what else did I catch? So day of tournament, I caught uh, a pretty fat uh, hybrid bass, uh, so like a striped bass and whatnot. And then um, I caught a huge grass carp. Yep. I mean, the <laughs> I was going to say, that was a huge carp. <laughs> it was huge, you know? And so, like, I wasn't sure what I caught. I thought maybe it was, like, a catfish or maybe a pike at first. But, like, the way it just felt like it was just dead weight, I was like, I'm not sure what the heck this thing is. You know, I was bringing it up, and it was fighting pretty good. I was like, this is either just, like, a lazy pike or something. I brought it up, and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. This is a <laughs> carp. Oh, yeah. What? I mean, it, it, it sounds like a cool fishery because of the multitude of species, yes. but it, I can see where that would make bass fishing tough too. If you're fighting through all those other species to try and <laughs> locate bass at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And that was also the struggle too, is, uh, I was, you know, throwing the jerk bait a lot too, cause that's one of my favorite ways uh, to try to catch smallmouth, And, uh, you know, I lost three jerk baits to uh. some kind of toothy fish whether it was gar or pike i'm gonna guess pike uh because i had a lot of follows when i'd be reeling it in i'd be like no <laughs> <laughs> you know because i'd see it coming in um you know because i'd be jerking it in jerk jerk and then shoo, nothing on the end i'd be like damn it <laughs> <laughs> so you know that that's just kind of you know how it is with some of these lakes you know that have the multi-species in it and everything so um yeah it uh it, it was definitely uh definitely a little tough and uh i had debated uh not uh obviously not this weekend or next weekend but the weekend after it's like the 15th or 16th um i had the choice between either a wisconsin tournament or a tournament on my home lake on banner and i'm like yeah no i'm gonna do banner yeah i figured <laughs> that'd be my go-to too yeah so I signed up for that. So that's technically my next tournament. Nice. And then tomorrow's July. <laughs> How crazy is that? Where is the season gone? Well, speaking like... of that, um, the the June Noobs tournament finished up. So I wanted to yes. give a quick shout out to John Hutek for uh, taking first place in that. And uh, Adam Chapman, who uh, has been fishing Noobs tournaments for a while, got second place. So... Um, you know, both of them put up some really good numbers this month. I was kind of middle of the pack as usual. So um, congrats to those guys. And uh, by the time this is up uh, uh, on Monday, uh, uh, July should be uh, going. And, you know, so we're looking forward to another uh, month of noobs tournaments. So uh, definitely sign up for that if you guys are interested. So Heck yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, besides that, July, I really only have the one tournament, which is, I mean, I've got like a, maybe a couple of lines that are like, um, you know, like I've got a, a month long and then I've got one that's like a, a choose your own day out of like a five day span. And then that's kind of about it. Nothing 
really too crazy. And then in August, we have a championship. God, that's weird to say already. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, I don't want to think about this yet. Like, (laughs) man, this this is crazy how fast the season's already going by. So I don't want to think about it yet. We're, we're just getting into July. So yeah, I don't want to think about that yet. We still got a ways to go. So, yeah. Well, hopefully uh, tonight's guest will be able to help us all with uh, our, our fishing a little bit. Um, I know one of the things that I started uh, the last two tournaments that I fished were both on very, very grassy lakes and um, I struggle in the grass. Uh, it, it drives me bonkers. Uh, I hate <laughs> bringing back my lure and having to clean it off every friggin' time it just drives me nuts so um that's what the madison chain was it was like a carpet of grass well uh that that should go well with our topic for tonight then because we're going to talk about bass in the grass and uh i actually was looking around for uh people to to talk to about this and i came across an article on jackson's uh page um and so i uh our guest tonight uh is on team jackson but he has way way more uh experience than just that so uh, i want to bring him in and let him talk about that because i'm not going to even come close to covering it all so <laughs> welcome to the new show joey monteleone so thanks for coming on and welcome well, my pleasure uh, thanks for having me I, you know this is when, when you get to do this stuff it, it turns it for the people who have the passion they completely get it you know and i see you nodding your head in agreement which everybody does that has a passion the other people we could talk to them for three days and it's not going to make any difference they're, they're going to say why are you out there it's hot and there's snakes and there's bugs and you know so you can go through the whole thing but my my, introdu- my introduction to the paddling uh was in missouri where was my original home state and we would take what we call float trips and then when, once i moved to tennessee i got a chance to guide well i went up to the quetico uh you, you all call it the boundary waters when you go through Ely, but I went up to the Quetico and fell in love with it and guided up there for the next 27 summers. So I got a lot of paddling in there, but you know, when Susie's talking about the smallmouth more, but I'm telling you the smallmouth fishing, it, it's, it's, it ought to be illegal. There's no way. The only thing that happens is it spoils you from wanting to come back to a, to a, you know, to reality. You know, you're talking about catching three, four five and six pound smallmouth oh. legit. I I had an eight. I had an eight, my biggest smallmouth ever, and they're oh. hitting spinner baits and buzz baits. It's like dying and going to heaven. Yeah, so it's it was good stuff. But uh, career-wise, I've been really lucky. I had a regular job, you know, so I'm not the guy that quit my job to go, you know, fish tournaments and all that, and got nothing against the tournaments. But you know, I like to compete against the fish and the, and nature and myself. And uh, so I had a real job with with a Kroger company that's a food company and in manufacturing. Yep. And uh, I, I was really lucky to have a lot of time in, a lot of vacation, and uh, I was really good at what I did. And I was salaried, so I'd only work like five or six hours a day, and then I'd go play. So I'd go, you know, fish <laughs> everywhere I could, you know, everywhere I could find, I would go fish. And so it worked out really well. I got into TV for about 35 years, got into radio, which I still do for about the last 40 years, been outdoor writing for 40 years. Uh, I've, I was a public relations director for Browning in Ogden, Utah. I did that from a distance. I did that from my home in Tennessee. Karate instructor for 20 years. Wow. And in my spare time, I fish a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. That's awesome. I've authored, I've authored three books, too. And my first one was called I'll Be Tennessee and You because when we're doing TV shows, nobody's going to remember Monteleone. So I had to have, forgive me for saying this, but a hook. So my deal was when I released my first fish, I'd say, 
I'll be Tennessee in you. Well, that <laughs> got so popular that I actually copyrighted it and made it the title of my first book. My second book is called 60 Seasons, which chronicles every, no secrets, every different thing that I could think of, every tip that I could think of, and it could be long or short or about turning a spinner bait to a spinner bite or bass in the grass or until depth do us part, you know. <laughs> so th that book has gone really, really well. It's got about 160 tips in it and some stories that go along with it. And then my last, no my last book was a novel because I wanted to kind of stretch myself a little bit and see if I could, could do that. But your, your topic of bass in the grass is a fun one. Uh, it's awesome. It, for, you know, one of the little tricks that I use, and I'm not saying everybody should do it the way I do it, if you're fishing and it's not fun, you're doing it wrong. So one of the things that I do is I will take a five-aught hook and make a leader and put a swivel on the top of it, a really good swivel, about a 12-inch leader, and your problem with the moss, spray that with cooking oil and put a stuff a styrofoam packing peanut inside your tube and throw that across your grass and watch and see what happens. Because mm. that tube will float. The cooking oil will keep it coming across there and that it's weightless and weedless. So it's going to be probably a spinning rod and you may want to throw braid and I put a fluorocarbon leader on there, but boy, is it fun. I mean, it is really fun. That and a floating worm is a big deal for me, especially if there's a little pocket, just like you would a frog, throw that floating worm and I throw three colors, white, pink or bubble gum. You know, if you're, if you're afraid to call it pink, you can call it bubble gum. <laughs> and there's one called sherbet that's a, a mix of orange and pink. And I don't know why they like it. I just know they really do hit that well. And it's the same setup, just a smaller hook. And uh, throw that floating worm through there, man. I'm telling you. And if you're if you're a frogger, and if you're if you're not, you're you'll you'll do this when you find lily pads. And we have a lake that I fish. It's got what we call dollar pads. I, I got the big lily pads right in my backyard. I live mm -hmm. right on a lake, so I've got the big pads. But the little dollar pads. One of the things I think where people kind of miss out is that they don't look at detail. If you ask 100 people, what's the color of the underside of a dollar pad? I bet you none of them get it right. And it's red. Okay. So knowing that, what I throw usually is a white bottomed, and I don't care what color the top of the frog is, that's for me, that's not for them, they couldn't care less. Right. So I either throw a straight black frog or I throw a leopard frog, uh, white bottom and the leopard frog pattern on the back. I use, and if you don't have the right equipment, you're going to really get frustrated. So it's going to be a, I got to design some rods. That's another feather in my cap and a whole nother story. But <laughs> I designed some rods that were heavy duty for people that were just shy of musky rods. And I'm throwing 40 pound braid, no leader. And then when you're tying that frog on, use a Palomar knot backed up by a clinch knot because sometimes that braid will slip. And then if you find those pads, you know, you have to kind of, you, you don't want to anticipate the bite because that's when you'll take it away from them, but throw it back in those pads and just hop it, skip it and figure out what the cadence is going to be, what, what they're reacting to. And I'm not the best, but I had one two years ago, nine and a half pound largemouth on a frog. And man, I'm telling no. you, yeah, no, it was, it was so awesome. It was so oh. awesome. And, you know, this isn't a brag. This is just historical. But I stopped counting my fish at 50,000 bass in the last 30 years. <laughs> 1,500 of them over five pounds. I've got, oh, wow. I've got seven over 10, one over 11, an eight-pound smallmouth, a four-pound crappie, a 45-pound blue cat. Uh, and to Susie Q's uh, talk, I caught some grass carp on a fly rod. <laughs> completely accidental, I can assure you. 
<laughs> it took me like 45 minutes. To I was just going to say, that's that's a time investment right there. But, you know, one of the things that when she, when she was talking about this, that when you have baits that are crossover baits that work like that, those are the baits you want to stick with. And in my first book, I've got something called the one-year rule. And I talk about, you know, you can have all the baits you want. You can have as big a tackle box as you want. And at the end of the year or the end of the season, if you didn't tie it on, it didn't get wet or didn't catch a fish, you got to take it out. In about four years, you're going to find out you got a little tackle box of baits that work everywhere that you go. Because I was lucky. I got to fish. Besides guiding in Canada, I got to fish uh, the freshwater lakes in Hawaii. All expenses oh. paid. Yeah, it's a tough job. <laughs> I, 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 I fished. I filmed oh, a video for Bass Pro Shops in Mexico. Caught 99 bass in three hours. I, my <laughs> triceps were were cramping. I had oh, to, I had to God. just say, hey. Let's go back and we'll start again tomorrow doing it. It doesn't take much to make a video when you're catching fish like that. Yeah. And then then the, the Canada trips were, those were just, some, oh. you know, vacation trips for me that just brought some jingle back in my pocket. And I got to guide people in there and give them that, I call it once in a lifetime, but you want to come back every year kind of a trip. Yeah. So the bass and the grass too. Another thing I would tell people is understand the dynamic of what's going on there. For example, when you get into the pads, Listen for what we call Rice Krispies. And what that really is, is the bluegill are hitting mosquitoes and dragonflies. And when you hear that popping sound, well, the bass go in there and feed on the bluegill. So there's an entire cycle that starts there. So pay attention to everything that's going on with you right there. And it's not just pads. It, it can be any kind of aquatic vegetation, ed, aquatic vegetation. And I call it submergent and emergent. So if you've got yes. coontail moss, if you've got lily pads, even bulrushes, which grow on the shallow side of the lake, if you've never seen them, when the red-winged blackbirds come in there and nest, the bass yes. will wait under those nests for those little birds to fly out. And you can you can throw whatever you want, but that frog, you know, they make bird they make bird lures, but you can throw a frog in or anything like that. It's not a widely known pattern, but and that's another thing you can establish a pattern. I call it first fish. Pay attention to what that fish is telling you, not literally telling you, but you know, it's in four or five feet of water. It's on the shady side of the log. It's on the south side of the lake. And if you live north like you all do, especially in the spring, look for natural signs and then use a little bit of science. Uh, the northwest side of the lake gets the most exposure to the sun. So go there first because it'll be two or three degrees warmer. And if you can find sand or chunk rock or boulder or any of that stuff, you're going to find some fish. It's, gonna, it's just going to happen that way. And you'll learn to journal. You know, if you keep a journal, you'll find out that those patterns are repeatable. For example, here about three weeks ago, the bluegill were spawning, and I went out there to catch a few bluegill, and the first fish I caught was a smallmouth. And then I went a little further down, found a bluegill bed. The next fish I caught was another smallmouth. Went down a little further, and it sounds like a bad joke, but I caught another smallmouth. And what they were doing was raiding those bluegill beds. Mm -hmm. So you got to put that together. Don't just fish blindly. Think about what's actually happening right in front of you. And there's the three R's that I try to teach people. It's it's uh, retrieve speed, which makes a tremendous amount of difference. Random action, which when Susie was talking about everything hitting certain baits like a jerk bait, that random action of that. And then uh, to understand the the uh, uh, pressure that a fish or, you know, the um, I, I guess it's not necessarily pressure, but the resistance, that a, that's the other R, the resistance. When you feel something, when you're fishing a jig or a plastic worm or anything, you feel some resistance, set the hook, it's free. Don't wait or don't, you know, when I was guiding, people said, well, I don't know if it's a fish or a stump. I said, well, hit the, set the hook, then you'll know what a stump feels like. 
you know, so, you know, it, don't be hesitant to set the hook, you know, it's free and set it hook, set it often and set it hard. So there's a lot of little lessons. And again, I'm not trying to push these books necessarily because you don't get rich writing books, but through the summer months and the books are available on Amazon through the summer months, 25% of the profit goes to St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. So awesome. yeah, no, it's just, you know, you want to give back. And that's another thing, you know, like when you do kids events, you know, I never shy away from doing community service and doing, you know, being Italian, yours was usually court ordered, but community <laughs> community service for me is a, you know, is a badge of honor. I, I enjoy doing that. I really do like doing that. Well, awesome. very cool. That's awesome. So, you know, another thing that study what it is that you're catching that bass, largemouth and smallmouth, if you look at a smallmouth, the tail looks like a paddle and they're capable of having bursts of speed of 12 to 15 miles an hour. So when somebody says, I took it away from the fish, no, you didn't. You, you made it look unattractive to the fish and it just decided it didn't want to chase it that far. You know, so that's that's in our hands. That's the thing that we probably need to do as much as anything. But uh, if you look at, you know, I often get the question, especially because I've got albums, I've got over 8,000 pictures on my computer and most of them are just big fish. And <laughs> when people say, so how do you, you know, how is it that, you know, I said, I think I've kind of cracked the code for that. And when you, when you do that, you should understand first when people say, well, I go to, you know, if Susie says I'm going to Banner Lake, but I never catch any fish over five pounds. Well, the next logical question is, are there fish in there over five pounds? So I'm not saying that there aren't in Banner, but there are going to be lakes that people go to or areas that they go and say, you know, there's nothing wrong with fishing your little local river or creek or stream. But if you're looking for an eight pound largemouth, you're not going to find it in there. It's not going to happen that way. So it's genetic. It's uh, water quality, which can be judged, especially if you fish a river, if it's got if it's got that uh, hydrilla in it, if it's got crawfish, if it's got helgramites, uh, if it's got other active species in there, you know, it's probably uh, freshwater mussels. You know that water's getting filtered. So you're going to have water quality. If it's got crawfish in there, if it's got shad, if it's got frogs, if it's got snakes, you know, when it's got a diverse um, food source for the fish, they're going to grow faster. I got a picture today of a, a shad that I found when I was, and I got out for a couple of hours because the, the nuts are out for the weekend for the 4th of July. Weekend. <laughs> and, and, you know, and when you fish big water, you know, the, the one thing I want to really insist on or not really is ask people is, please wear your life jackets. Absolutely. We, you know, we get, we get drownings yes. in the state and it's constant that people are saying that, you know, it's either canoers or in kayakers and they're not wearing a life jacket. Please yep. wear your life jacket. And if you got a flag, put it on your boat. I run on my, my boat's red, white, and blue. It's custom colored red, white, and blue. And it's even got stars airbrushed in it. And of course I'm flying an American flag off the back of it. So it's not hard to find me. So, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, I found a shad that was probably I, I, I didn't post a picture on Facebook or Instagram, but I'm on both of those. But the shad was probably about 10 inches long. And to have really big crappie, you got to have good shad. And with bass, you got to have if crawfish is the number one uh, food source for any kind of bass and whether it's walleye or anything else, for every five pounds of crawfish that a bass eats, it gains a pound. So it's the Red Bull for bass. They get they if they get a choice and a chance, that's what they're going after. And that's what a jig looks like. And, you know, you can you can make a lot of things look like a crawfish. So uh, knowing your fish, knowing it's you know what it likes, what it doesn't like, those kind of things. When people you know, I would uh, ask people, I love to fish farm ponds. You know, if I have a choice, if I get a farm pond that I can go fish, I'll go fish a farm pond in a skinny minute. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's. It's it, 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 no matter where you live, 
those are going to be the places that really don't get a lot of pressure. And they're a good, you know, it's like a laboratory for people that like to fish. And, you know, what I tell people is start with the quietest lure first, and you can transform that into fish in big water, too, because if you throw a buzz bait, and I love throwing a buzz bait, and I've caught some big fish on it, but if you throw that first, then you're, you're going to spook what's ever in there. Or, you know, if mm -hmm. you don't get bit, that's going to, so start with the plastic worm, start with the weightless, weedless plastic worm or the tube or whatever you want to do, and then move up to, you know, maybe a spinner bait and then a silent crankbait, and then maybe the rattle trap type bait, and then maybe the buzz bait. And what you'll find out is if you don't, you're not spooking those fish with a plastic worm. So it works in the inverse. If you're quiet first and you're unassuming, it's probably going to help you catch a few more fish. And, you know, another thing that people don't really look at, and I have a lot of material that I do. I do radio every morning uh, for AM 650 WSM. And people said it's an AM station. I said, yeah, it's a little old AM station. 50,000 watts hits 38 states. Yeah, so we get a little bit of fan mail. But one of the things that people kind of forget is those early lessons that we had about fishing a pearl-colored curly-tailed grub. They even put them in survival kits for the military. That tells you probably all you need to know. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, we kind of get away from that. And, you know, we're, we're in an industry where people want to talk about things being sexy. You know, so if you think a $12 crankbait is sexy, when you go to the farm pond and you go towards the evening, get yourself a little black jitterbug and throw that out there. And I'm telling you, mm -hmm. they don't quit catching fish. People just quit throwing them. And I'm all for innovation. Strike King is one of my major sponsors, been a sponsor for 35 years, and they come up with new stuff all the time. But this is the truth, and I guarantee you both of you do the same thing. When it comes out of the package, I alter that somehow, some way. When I would go to Canada, I would put I would put a chartreuse blade, back blade on my spinnerbait, spray paint a little bit of red on it, and drop some glitter on it. And it looks like a fish that's being scaled. If you've ever seen them when they feed the fish in an aquarium, yep. when the scales fall down. Those bass looked at that and said, something's eaten and it's not me. I'm going to go find out what that is. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, those little tricks that you can do really do make a difference. And, you know, they, the old saying is that 10% of the fish or 90% of the fish are caught by 10% of the fishermen. The people that are aware of what's going on around them, that makes a tremendous amount of difference. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, wow. there There's a lot to <laughs> unpack there, man. I, I feel like we could talk for a day and still not cover anything, you know, but, uh, um, wow. Uh, so <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you first, like, so I figured we'll start with, uh, lily pads as, as the number one, like probably when most people think of aquatic vegetation, I think that's probably the go-to. Yeah. And, um, I know one thing that I, I saw in the, I, the, in the article that you wrote on the Jackson page was that you actually prefer uh, a medium heavy rod over a heavy rod. And, and also you think, uh, like 30 pound braid is, you know, good enough. And anything over that is kind of overkill. Is that still accurate or you think it is, it is, okay. you, you know, I, I do a lot of things that are unconventional and I don't do them to try to be different than everybody else. I do them because it's a, an experiment with, you know, when somebody says I use 90 pound braid, I mean, come on, that should be on your weed eater. That shouldn't be on your fishing rod. <laughs> You know, so and and the here's here's the thing, and this will make sense, I think, when you hear it. If you're throwing a medium heavy rod and you're throwing 30 pound braid, that braid is making up the difference in the not having the stiffer rod. You know what I'm saying? There's zero stretch. Monofilament's got 10 to 15 percent stretch in it. So we did that for years. I don't advocate right. that for frog fishing, but you know, but when you take that braid, 
that, you know, the smaller diameter is going to be a little bit more of a help to you from a casting standpoint, because I like to stay off my fish. I really do. And we got the advantage of, I call it ninja stealth mode because of my martial arts background, but you know, <laughs> where you can kind of glide in to right. an area mm-hmm. and be really unobtrusive. And I know people like to pedal and people like to put trolling motors on there. I, I want to, I, you know, I'm 72 and I still paddle and I want to paddle because A, it's good for me and B, I can make such small corrections with that paddle and get in as quiet as I possibly can. And it makes a difference. Big water, small water, you know, it does make a difference. So the braid coupled with that rod make it just as effective, I think, as, you know, for years and before you all were born, when people were, when they came out with these worm rods and they said, you know, it's uh, stiff as like a pool cue and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, that's all good macho talk, but it's not functional. It's not really what you need. You know, and it's kind of like when people would question, you know, people would question my ability and because I don't fish tournaments. And I said, well, I, I can tell you right now, I could fish with a broom handle wearing oven mitts and still beat you. So, <laughs> so it's not. Uh, and it's not, obviously, if you when you say I stopped counting at 50,000, you could back that talk up. That's pretty cool. Well, yep. well I, I fished 120 days last year and caught over 1,100 bass. Not to count the crappie and the bluegill, because when the bluegill are spawning, I put everything away. I take a five-way fly rod, and I go find those bluegill nests and throw a sponge spider over it. I mean, I love doing that. And that's the other thing. I don't get locked into this idea of, you know, uh, I, I've accidentally caught a 25-pound channel cat on spinning equipment. And <laughs> I, you know, I, got the, I got the kayak ride when I did that. But it's fun. You know, right. it, it also said... I had a good hook. I had a good sharp hook. I had a good knot. I had my drag set properly. I played that fish properly. So there's lessons in all of that. You know, if you'll just allow yourself, just open up your mind to what the lessons are when you're out there. And if you don't, you know, you should learn something or, uh, or it should back up something you already know. Every trip that you take ought to be some kind of a deal where you're saying that re re, uh, reaffirms in my mind that this is the right thing to do. And, uh, Years ago, I helped a company develop a little small tube, a little silver tube. And uh, it, when I saw it, when I was de- developing the color and the size of it, I, and I'm not much of a crappie fisherman. If I find him, I can catch him. But I started catching crappie on this. And when we developed it, I told the people, I said, I'll take every one of them that you make. So it was made in 1995. We didn't go public with it until like 2013. The first year that they had them out there, they sold 120,000 of them. It's a little silver tube and it looks just like a minnow and people have caught every, you have caught saltwater, freshwater. I caught rainbow trout, crappie, bass, bluegill, any, any species. So again, it's that crossover bait, you know, and that's in your hands to make it. Susie would fish it at one way and one speed. You would fish it one way and one speed and so on. So that's the random action I was talking about. That's why uh, for years, I did a tagging program where I had tags with my name and phone number on them and a consecutive number. You, and you, you can't do that everywhere. It's illegal in some states. But I tagged one fish, and I didn't tag them. I didn't tag the little cookie cutter bass. It had to be over four pounds, or I didn't want to do it because the little fish are liars. The big fish hold all <laughs> the fish. So I tagged one fish. It was four pounds. I recaught that fish five times and fished the same spot with every bait that you can think of, and every time it was on a jig or a plastic worm. So it's random action. It's silent. It's subtle. It's easily swallowed shapes, natural colors, all of those things. And again, these are in the books, but no secrets. I mean, that's that's the stuff that will help people catch fish. That's awesome. Yeah. And 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 I love the the you know whatever bites 
is teaching you something because that's kind of the way I fish. Do I target bass? Yes. And in tournaments, that's what I'm looking for. But if I'm fun fishing, I I'm fishing for anything that will bite, you know, we and, call it, I call it junk fishing, but I'm with you. You know, yeah. I take spinning rods with me and I got a little box of, of, uh, you know, curly tail grubs and tubes and little small spinners and stuff like that to mm -hmm. say, you know, we had a TV show when the bass weren't biting. I told the cameraman, I said, we're turning this into a bluegill show. I mean, we <laughs> hammered them. We absolutely hammered them. And, you know, I did the tournament thing for a little while. And I always, you know, it's one of the ways that I got my job with Browning. I was fishing a red man tournament on the Arkansas River as a press angler. And I told him, I said, you know, they had a they had a big bass check for the press angler. And I said, I'm a good fisherman that likes to write. These other guys are good writers that like to fish. So I said, you can go ahead and you can go ahead and sign those checks over to me right now. Two days worth of checks. And they said, if you do that, we're going to put you on ESPN. I said, roll the cameras, buddy. It's going to happen. Both days, <laughs> I, I got the big bass check. And Browning people saw me, and that turned into the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I fished a, I fished a benefit tournament in St. Louis. One I, I helped start for a, a group called Dream Factory. It's for terminally ill children. And uh, they, they grant them a wish. So I started that. And when I moved, I would go back and fish it and MC the way in. And uh, I, I, I got the big bass check. And... I actually finished second in the whole tournament. And uh, they, they asked, you know, when you go on stage, they say, well, you mind talking about your, I said, no, I don't mind talking about it at all. I said, well, what were you doing? I said, I was pitching a black and blue jig. And I'm going to say this, this is, I've never said this publicly, but I'm going to say it right here. Believe this or not, I'm the guy that came up with the pitching technique. I was doing it in the early 80s. And I've got a Bassmaster article that was written by a nationally known writer that saw me do this. And another person, Doug Hannon, you may not know of him, but Doug was a good friend of mine. When we were at the tackle show, before it was ICAST, it was called AFTMA. And Doug gathered a bunch of people. I had fish with him, and he wanted me to show people how I was doing that. But at any rate, I was pitching a black and blue jig at this at this tournament. And the guy said, well, I believe there was a lot of people pitching a black and blue jig. And I said, well, I was pitching him at boat docks. And he said, well, again, I'm going to tell you, I think there was a lot of people pitching him at boat docks. And I said, well, here's the secret. I was pitching him to boat docks. Was so anyway, I'm in Missouri. I, I, I had started a tournament called uh, Dream Factory for Terminal Ill Children. And I would go back every year and MC the tournament and fish the way in. And uh, I got up there and I had big bass for the tournament and I finished second. And uh, so I was on the stage and they said, so tell us about, you know, do you mind telling us about your catch? And I said, no, not at all. I was throwing a black and blue jig. And they said, well, a lot of people throwing a black and blue jig. And so I said, okay, well, I was throwing them at boat docks and they said, well, a lot of people are fishing boat docks. And I said, I was fishing boat docks with spider webs under them. And they said, spider webs. I said, yeah, nobody fished under there in a week. True. So that you don't have to be smarter than everybody, just a few people and the fish. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So it's, uh, you know, it, 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 the tournament thing is a, a game of strategy. And I, I used to fish just to kind of relax. I wanted to, I wanted to have fun. And, you know, I fish, you know, I didn't start until I was about 10. And I fished for a year and never caught a fish. I was pro I probably only went fishing about 10 times, and but I knew I was going to like it. I didn't ever think I was going to be good at it. But then I started getting a little better at it, and then I started liking it more. And then you know how that is. You just catch the fire. You know, and oh, so yeah. I, like yes. everybody else, I went out and bought a gigantic tackle box and filled it up and mistakenly thought that was going to make me a better fisherman. <laughs> yes. When I guided, I used to bring a paper bag. And Bill Dance is a friend of mine. I got him to autograph some of these paper bags, and I call them Tennessee tackle boxes. And when I, 
when I'd get out there, people would say, is that your lunch? I said, no. I said, I've got a jig and some pork frogs, a spinnerbait and a crankbait in here. And I'm going to kick your butt all over the lake with just using these baits. So, you know, it used to be, I would tell people, I'd have people challenge me about jig fishing because it's really what I like to do. And like I was saying earlier, I, I'm the person that came up with that pitching. If anybody wants to dispute that, I can show you, you know, I can show you articles and, uh, and, you know, give you the stories behind it. But at any rate, uh, that, that that jig thing, you know, I got to be known locally about that. And I had people saying, well, I want to fish with you. And I said, I'll put you on a list with the other 400 people that want to do that. <laughs> but, you know, the, yeah, I went fishing with a guy and said, I want to go jig fishing with you. I'm going to give you a jig lesson. I said, I would love for you to do that. And I said, matter of fact, I'll tell you what I'll let you do. You can have the front end of the boat and you can pick the color of the jig. I just want to pick the weight of it. So when the day was over, I had 21 and he had two. And so, you know, it's, it's really more about, you know, I fished with Rick Clun and fished behind him when we were pre-fishing the tournament. And he was the guy that looked over at me when I was pitching that jig. And he said, I don't know what you're doing because I was catching fish behind him. So that right there tells you that there's something to all of this stuff. But it, I used to do that. I started fishing that way because I fished a small river in middle Tennessee. And to get under the branches, you, I use that pendulum motion to do that. And I, everywhere I went, people were just astounded. And then we actually, I just did a, I, I did a reels for, uh, for Facebook uh, that has me pitching into a little bass koozie from 30 feet away. And uh, I did the, I did the little tick, tick, boom thing with it. And, uh, <laughs> and then I've had, I did it at boat shows. People would pay me to come out there and put a, you know, to put a little cup out there and pitch a jig into it. And then when I got really good, just right-handed, I started doing it left-handed. Then I started doing it with two rods. So <laughs> nice. That that got a little bit more difficult than people would realize. But you know, I had people all the time thinking they said, "Well, I can do that." I said, "Well, go ahead." Or they thought there was a magnet in the cup, or you know, I, there was always somebody. There's always you know when you when you make a name for yourself, you're going to have some people. I don't want to call them haters, but they're people that are not. Yeah, let's put it that they're they're just not fans. You know, yeah. kind of a thing. Luckily, I've got a lot of people that have supported me over the course of the years, and. You know, when you talk about a list of sponsors, mine's like an all-star list. I've had everybody I've had, you know, I had the chance to go full-time the tournament deal and my kids were little and I, I it, it just wasn't for me. I didn't want to leave home and leave my kids behind. I didn't have kids and I'm not knocking anybody else's choices. It just wasn't a choice for me at the time. And right. I said, I'll go and yeah. do the media thing. And so um, for 35 years, I did boat shows all over the country and I did the Bass University. I was the only non-tournament guy doing that. You know, I did tournament. I did uh, appearances with Denny Brower and Rick Clun and Jimmy Houston and all those kind of people. And I was the only non-tournament guy that they had on their staff. And uh, it's not because I'm any better than anybody else. Actually, it's it's the other way around. I'm the guy next door. When people would say, "Oh, you're on TV," and I said, "It's no big deal to be on TV. Just go rob the local 7-Eleven. You'll be on TV." <laughs> But I am the guy next door. I'm not doing anything that anybody else can't do because, I, I mean, my first kayak, obviously, I was sponsored. But, you know, because I've already made a name for myself and, in in, you know, I had Bending Branches and Jackson and Strike King and, I, you know, I got a list as long as your arm. And I, I'm not that's not a brag. That's just I've been lucky to be in the right place at the right time. I'm not yes. doing anything that somebody else can't do if they want to, if they're willing to go out there and put in the time. That's that's the key. Put in the time, be aware, be willing to learn, be willing to listen, you know, adjust. I try to I try to uh, master 
or get better at one technique every year. And crankbaits were my worst. I just finished a blog post called My Tackle Box, where crankbaits go to die. <laughs> I, I actually saw that one when I was uh, started reading your stuff. And I, yeah, uh, if you see me throwing a crankbait, it's I've tried everything else, and now I'm saying, okay, I'll throw the crankbait. <laughs> that that's how I am with like the Ned rig and drop shot. <laughs> yeah, and now the, the drop shot is really effective in clear water with a lot of you know again situational. Uh, mm -hmm. My mm -hmm. partner, my fishing partner, Debbie, loves the Ned Rig. And last year, you know, she was with me every day, 120 days, and she caught over 700 fish, and a lot of them were on soft plastics. Wow. And I hate the Ned Rig, and I'm like you. I won't throw it. I just won't. And the yeah. drop shot, I've thrown it to show people how it works, and I've thrown it in tanks and, you know, done that and done it like in other waters that are kind of open and clear and all that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a jig and spoon. I used to take one when I do seminars and hold up a jig and spoon. I said, anybody want to learn how to fish this? And people would raise their hand. I said, you're in the wrong spot. I don't throw these. And I put it back in my hand. I don't want to stand over a point in 30 feet of water and vertically jig a spoon. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm with you right there. 100%. Yeah, I'm, I'm not doing that. And, you know, the, the other mindset is if you are a tournament person, you know, I go back. And, again, I'm not knocking that, but I tell people, you're fishing for five fish. I'm fishing for a five pounder. And there is a difference that I'm satisfied to get my string stretched two or three times a trip. And, uh, you know, and it, it, this is, I always say, that's why there's chocolate and vanilla ice cream, because everybody likes something different. Yeah. Like the people are dedicated to cat fishing or crappie fishing or mm -hmm. whatever yes. that is. You know, again, I, for me, just be out there, be out there, introduce somebody to it, go out there, enjoy yourself learn something, be really, really safe, and be an example for people. What we're doing in this industry, each one of us is an example. You can be a good one or a bad one, but you're still going to be an example. Yes. Somebody's yep. watching, yep. Somebody's exactly. watching you. And, you know, when I would do, when I would do, uh, whether I'm doing radio or whether I'm doing personal appearances or boat shows or seminars somewhere else, whatever that is, or writing an article, I have a, I have a, I hold myself up to a, a, a criteria that if somebody says, that looks like fun, I think I could do that, or I want to try that, then I've done my job. So that's the, the whole point is getting people out there. And I never want to make people think that they can't do what we're doing. It's just not that difficult. You know, sure. simplifying this, you know, when people say, what's your electronics? I said, it's a pair of $29 sunglasses, you know, and I said, I don't, you know, again, I'm not, you know, the introduction of LiveScope just proved what I've been saying for 30 years. It's not hard to catch fish. It's hard to find fish. And I use some really basic criteria. You know, if I see a, gee, if I see a limb sticking up out of the water, I'm going to guess and say, huh, but there's a tree under there attached to that limb. You know, or, if you, you know, like I was talking about the northwest side of the lake, if you find rocks or gravel, if you find rock and boulder rock, crawfish live there, bass are going to be there. If that water's two or three degrees warmer and people say, well, if you don't use electronics, I said, I have a pool thermometer tied to a piece of braided line that I throw out to get the surface temperature. Really high tech. Like so, it. yeah, I mean, I like it's really it. simple stuff. I and, like you know, it. all that stuff makes a little bit of a difference. And, you know, be a student of this. Every, everything that you're doing, try to be a student and keep learning and learn from other people. You know, be willing to listen and learn. And, you know, the way that I do it isn't the only way to do it. It's just the way that I do it. I'm not saying everybody's got to throw a medium heavy rod and 30 pound braid for frog. And if you want to throw a heavy rod, First of all, the, the name itself says it's a little heavier. And secondly, when you're throwing 80 pound braid, you know, if you want to do that, you can. But I mean, you could I mean, you could you could bring a school bus with you with 80 pound braid. 
sure. So, I mean, you know, and it's, you know, you'll develop your own system. You know, I, I tell people that when it comes to the crankbaits, you can have three different colors. If you have a shad pattern, if you have a crawfish pattern, and if you have a fire tiger pattern, you got all the three colors that you need. Those three colors will catch fish. I've everywhere that I've ever gone, I can catch fish on that three colors of crankbaits. It's, it, I mean, we get to the point where we see somebody else, and we're all guilty of this. We'll see somebody else fishing it. Somebody catches a bunch of fish. Somebody on a TV show, whatever, and we say, "Oh man, I got to get." Well, I can't just get one of them because if I buy one and lose it, then I'm out. So I got to get two or three of them, and you know, so it's a. Uh, it's kind of a disease for people, but I always, to me, the minimizing, you know, I learned that when I was guiding in Canada, I'm, I'm, I'm in a wilderness canoe area and you can't take all the stuff with you that you need or that you want. You take what you really need and you learn to minimize. And realistically, I challenge myself to do what I call, it's a, it's a plain old 3600. It's a one-sided tackle box. that has got about eight compartments in it. And I tell people I can take that and I do change it seasonally. You know, that I start throwing, like when I'm throwing top water, you know, I might put some top water and then take that out. And if I'm, then if I'm throwing like lipless rattle baits or something like that, I might add or take one out. But you can, you know what you're going to fish when you go out there already. I mean, people can say what they want. I'm not saying there isn't the oddball days when something different happens, but you already pretty much know what you're going to fish. And it goes back to that one year rule that everything you've got in there, if you keep doing that for after two or three years, you're going to know that everything you've got in there is already caught a fish. So you can do it. So the retrieve speed is something I really lean on heavily also that I tell people that, you know, and this is, you'll find this, uh, I think it's true most of the time, you know, there is no never and always in outdoors. I hunt and I fish and so there's no never, there's no always. You, you're not sure what's going to happen when you go out there. It's always going to be a mystery. And what we say is we bring the adventure with us when we go. But if you use smaller lures and slower retrieves, you'll almost always catch a fish when it's really ugly. A smaller lure and a slower retrieve will always catch a fish. So, you know, my deal was I never wanted to be skunked. I always, you know, once I got to a certain level and I might be out there and it might be, it might be late February and I'm throwing and nothing, throwing and nothing. And I catch a six inch bass and said, whoop, okay, that's it. I'm going home. I caught the fish. <laughs> you know, so, you know, it'll make, it'll make you better at doing that. And I, you know, for years we counted, I counted numbers of fish and this year, and I, I don't, I'll probably be criticized for it, but this year I'm counting the trips, but I'm not, I, I will tell you how many fish I caught in a day, but I'm not keeping a running score because I was doing that. Sometimes I say people do the right things for the wrong reasons. And I was doing that. So people would be impressed and say, wow, that's cool. Your goal was a thousand and you caught 1100. I don't care now. I'm going and have, I'm fishing and I'm having fun. And if I catch seven or if I catch 17, I'm good. I don't, I, you know, and, and that comes after a lot of years of catching a bunch of fish too, where you're saying, okay, I've done that. And when I was in the, when I was in the martial arts, I, uh, and there's some parallels with, with karate and kayak and believe it or not that you use your core, you know, that there's a lot of movement and you're, it's a one-on-one -on -one deal. And, uh, they talked me into fighting in tournaments and the first tournament I fought in, I won. And then, you know, it was for the whole Eastern United States. And so I said, well, that could have just been luck. So the second year I went back in, I won. And so I said, well, if I could do this a third time, that would really prove something. And I won. So, you know, at, at that point, I said, kind of like with the fishing, I said to myself, I don't have to do this anymore because I don't have to prove myself. I know I know how to fight. I know I know how to defend myself. So that just doesn't matter anymore. When people ask me, I said, well, I, you know, when you fight in karate, I said the same places hurt. They just hurt for longer now. 
So <laughs> I, I said, it, it, it was time for me to, you know, it's a younger man's game. It was time for me to step aside. And I enjoyed that part of it. But then you kind of move and you develop into, you all are not the same fishermen you were when your daddy and grandpa took you to a farm pond. You know, you developed and you're, you know, you're, you're having fun and you're, you're using that skill set to learn other things. And again, every time you go out, you're learning. And when you pass that on to somebody else, you know, at 72, I tell people I don't even buy green bananas anymore. So for, for me, it's one of those that I'm, my legacy is going to be passing on to other people. That's why I wrote the second book. I didn't want that knowledge that I gained the hard way leaving with me. I want people, people would say, well, I never really thought about that. For example, you got plastic crankbaits and years ago, they were all wooden crankbaits mm -hmm. and uh, the pose crankbaits were made out of cedar, out of cedar. And uh, so I told people, I said, you know, do you think they run the same? And I said, yeah, probably. And I said, well, they don't because a plastic crankbait is fused together, but it's got an air chamber in it and air when it gets heated. So I don't care where you are in August, it's hot. So that crankbait's not going to dive as deep as it does in March. A wooden crankbait will dive the same every time, but the plastic won't. It'll ride a little bit higher. So, you know, people said, how do you think about that? And I said, I got nothing else to think about while I'm out there fishing because I'm not smart enough to think of two things at the same time. <laughs> Well, it's funny you say that too, because I, I, I mean, there's times when I'm out on the water and I, I find myself getting frustrated if, you know, I, uh, if I'm pressing not to skunk, you know, and, and I, I find uh, if I just sit back and remind myself why I'm out there for, you know, that I'm out here to do this for fun. And it, it shouldn't be something that is stressing me out or making me angry or upset or frustrated. And then once I do that, then I calm down and then I usually catch fish. It's, well, there's it's, a, and there's a level of confidence that I'll, I'll tell you another story real quick. Um, we were filming a TV show up here on one of the state lakes and I'd never been on the lake before. And, uh, I, you know, I've got a wireless mic on and they've got the head of the uh, state lakes department in another boat with a cameraman. And then we got a tech guy. And so I, I say, when you're doing TV, you know, if, just like when you're doing this, you can start it and stop it when you want. So I said, roll on me. And so I'm doing what we call a standup. And I said, there's a limestone rock bluff right there with two mud banks on the side of it. And I said, I guarantee you that limestone is broken off, falling at the base of that if gravity's working like it has for the last 2 million years. <laughs> and I said, there's a crawfish living in that limestone rock and I'm gonna throw a, a soft plastic crawl in there and catch a fish. First cast, I caught one that weighed about two and a half pounds. And the lady in the boat with the, with the cameraman said, have you ever seen him do that before? He said, 500 times. <laughs> it's nice. It's really it's really, it's not, you know, I, I, when you start patterning fish, I call it the first one's luck. The second one is what we call a clue. And the third one's a pattern, you know, so if you're paying attention, it becomes fun because it's a repeatable pattern. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I was, I was curious um, when you, when you started paddling, what, did you have to change anything at all? Like I'm thinking about your pitching, you know, and did that have to evolve at all when you, when you moved from like a boat to, a kayak, you know, it, you know, what was that transition like? Well, and again, I, I'm not leaning on it's like, you know, I, I'm not claiming any big hero status because I was in the martial arts, but it does give you really good balance. And I've always stood up in the boat. I did it in a 10 foot flat bottom boat. I did it in a 21 foot bass boat and I did it in a kayak. And when I was transitioning to the kayak, I had somebody with me and they said the cameraman asked the person on camera said, you think Joey will have to make a big transition fishing from a, a boat to a kayak? And the person looked over and said, I think he could catch a fish standing on a two by four. So <laughs> for me, for me, it's like, you know, it's having that balance. And again, it's having that confidence. And you also have to know when it's time to sit down. 
you know, yeah. the, old, the old story living in St. Louis, somebody used to say somebody stood up when they should have shut up. You know, for me, it's it's one of those that I stand up in the kayak because I like fishing plastic and jigs and those kind of things. And it, it facilitates the hook set. And we were having this, this discussion today. My partner, Debbie, and I, we were talking about, you know, I'm sponsored. So I get rods and reels and whatever. And we were getting her a rod. And she said, you know, I, that rod's a little bit long for the kayak because she pedals and she sits when she's fishing. And I said, well, you don't want to lose that extra half a foot you know, going from a six and a half to a seven, you don't want to lose that in the seven because you get a longer cast, you get a better hook set, and it allows you to play the fish more effectively. That's all six inches of rod, nothing more than that. So, you know, I I, I did a, I, I've done so many blog posts and so many seminars that it was simple for me after 35 years. I've just, as I say at the Grand Ole Opry, you, you plug in, you pray, and you play. You know, I would just show up and I knew what I was going to do already. I had a, a little uh, a little box of baits that were kind of my my outline but you know when you're when you're doing all that stuff again the confidence that you have in the baits that you're throwing and having people understand you know that uh for example i will take a cup face popper and shave the face on it because it changes the sound of it so susie's throwing a, a pop bar or a spitting king from strike king you're throwing one and i'm throwing one and they all sound the same well i change the sound of mine Mine's got kind of got that Barry Manilow, uh, not Barry Manilow, but uh, uh, the the guy from Mo. Barry White. Barry White. It's got the yours. has got Real the. Mine's got the. You know, so sound travels through water five times faster than it does through air. So that's going to be there's triggering and attracting qualities to every bait that you throw artificial bait. So the attracting quality, some of that is sound, and sound can be a negative thing for spooky fish. And we were doing a TV show one day. And uh, I had somebody in the boat with me and I was up front running a trolling motor. And I saw if you see where two objects intersect, like you have uh, aquatic weeds and wood, that's a place that you want to throw every yes. time. So yeah. I saw a fish in there and I, I saw the fish zoom out. And if the fish leaves out straight, it just it, it, it you're, it's not as bothered as if it zigzags. If it zigzags, it hurts something it didn't like. That fish will go off and it may eventually come back, but not soon. The fish that goes out straight, that's just something a little uncomfortable. So I said, watch this. I pitched the jig in there, and the water is clear enough. You could see that fish swim up to that jig. I twitched it once, and it ate it. And the spot, the guest with me said, that was awesome. And I said, it's really simple that if you're watching the behavior of that fish and you understand for the people that fish muskies, when they get a follow to the boat and they go into a figure eight rather than just lifting it up and saying, well, it didn't bite, that muskie is so locked in on that bait, it doesn't see the boat. It doesn't see the fisherman. All it sees is that lure, and it's on, it's a predator, so it's looking for that. So understanding that makes you a better fisherman, better outdoorsman. You know, it makes you actually better at life because you become more observant. In, in Japanese, it's called zanshin. It's a, the awareness of everything around you. So if you live in St. Louis, you either have that or you don't live. So it's one of those, you know, that you have that awareness about you. And it really is helpful in the woods. Again, you'll see mayfly hatches. You'll see bass chasing bait and pick up. I have a rod rigged up with a small buzz bait or a, a topwater bait that I can throw into that when they're chasing that bait. That's almost a sure thing every time. If you miss a topwater strike, follow up. have a small plastic ready and throw right in behind it. And a lot of people... We know that, but a lot of people don't. We don't want to assume that everybody knows that, but it does yep. make a difference. It really yes. does make a difference. Absolutely. 
Awesome. Um, I, I wanted to, we talked about, yeah, we talked about, um, uh, lily pads a little bit. Um, how about submerged grass? Like, uh, what are you throwing there? I know you, you talked a little bit in the article about like, uh, running a crankbait over top or, or, um, do you ever fish down in that grass or are you mainly staying out on the edges or in the, in the top of it? Okay. I see, I see Susie's head exploding. I'll, I'll, let me get, let me, <laughs> let me give you one little firecracker for your head. <laughs> Change out the front hook on a lipless crankbait to the next size up. So if it's got, so I'll put a number, like a number four on there, if it was a smaller one and that takes the nose down a little bit, cause it adds a little bit extra weight and then rip it through that grass and it's got to be the right kind of grass. If it's real thick, I mean, you're just going to get stuck. But it'll tick that grass. And it's kind of like taking, if you ever thrown a, a, a square-built crankbait and get what I call a deflection bite. Like you throw past a, a, a submerged log and it bounces off there. That fish just comes out of nowhere and hits it. You'll get the same thing with that grass bite. The other thing is I will take a spinnerbait. And, again, I alter everything that I throw. And I'll take a double willow leaf spinnerbait and I'll put a blue glimmer shad skirt on it because – where we are here, the shad spawn is on right now. So I'll put a blue glimmer and I'll take that double willow leaf spinnerbait and I'll clip off the front blade, leave the black blade, the silver blade, and boy, does it look like a shad. And when you kill that at the edge of that grass, it's probably when you're going to get hit and it helicopters down and it drops. You get a bunch of hits doing it. It's kind of like your frog bite. Don't throw, don't parallel the edges throw into the into the slop and bring it back to you when it gets to the edge that's when it's going to get bit most most of the time that's when it's going to get bit so that's the observation skills so that uh a spinnerbait and uh I, I most people don't even make these anymore they're kind of hard to find so you can alter your own or you can find them i'm sure now with the advent of amazon and online and whatever <laughs> find some short arm spinnerbaits and get one that's mm. no bigger than three eighths ounce a quarter ounce, if you can get it, throw that on your spinning rod and throw that just above, just above the grass line. And again, it's kind of like those fish are down in there, kind of, they think they're hiding. It's kind of like a three-year-old with their head stuck under the bed and, and the body <laughs> sticking out. They think they're hiding in there, but that comes over the top. And, you know, the strike zone of fish, and I blame, I'm blaming myself and some of my other media partners for making it sound like a fish will move 50 feet to hit a bait. They don't do that because the return on investment is not there. So, you know, the, the closer you are to that fish and the more natural you make that look, that's your job and it's a fish's job to eat it. So if you can put that, you know, when I see wood, like I said, if I see wood and weeds, any kind of aquatic vegetation, I'm throwing in there. And I will keep a rod rigged up with the tube that we talked about earlier, the big tubes, and I'll drop that right in the middle. There is nothing more fun than seeing that line jump or get, seeing feeling that pull down when you're in there. Or if you're pulling it back through there and you see those weeds part, I mean, it's like the Red Sea, only it's the oh, yeah. Sea. Yeah. yeah. And they're coming through there. I mean, it'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. <laughs> yeah. The hair I got is on the back of my neck. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm right there with you. That's where I might yeah. have on there. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. No, that gets your gets your blood rushing. And uh, when you see that trailing going on. And, and make it yeah, and you and you want to make it easy for them to find. If you're throwing a frog in there, you know, you don't want to run that back like 500 miles an hour. Make that thing flip the tip up so it makes it makes it hop in there and it's disturbing that a little bit more. And I think the fish will track that. And then when they get to the end, it's finally like it becomes abundantly clear that it's open. If it's real heavy stuff, if it's pads, don't be afraid to throw into the pads 
And then when you throw there, when you get to that little hole and you know, the, you'll see a hole in there, leave it in there, take your rod tip like this and start hitting it with your finger. It'll make that bait just kind of tremble as it's going through there. They will absolutely go nuts on that, but you got to be ready for it. So it looks like it's kind of quivering is what it amounts to. And it's a different, your presentation's got to be just a little bit different than what they're used to seeing. If you're fishing heavily pressured waters, you know, I, I'm fishing this lake and I'm learning it a little bit more. And I've lived on rivers before and I've fished everywhere. I mean, I've because of the TV show and because of my guide and I've fished in a lot of different places. And out of every, there's a there's another chapter in one of my books called If It Floats, It's a Boat. Because I've fished out of everything. Pontoon boats, canoes, John boats, homemade boats you know, the whole nine yards. But, you know, the, the main thing is it's it's not the boat. It's, that's just a place to stand as far as I'm concerned. It's becoming proficient. It's kind of like when you get the, uh, when you start talking about a worm bite, people say, well, what does that feel like? I said, could feel like a tap, could feel like a tap tap, could feel like it's just somebody's pulling on it. It could feel like somebody cut the line and it's, and it's swimming under the boat. And, you know, when I was teaching somebody one day how to fish a plastic worm, I said, the hardest one to detect is when they just pick it up and swim under the boat. And it happened about, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes later. And I said, there's one swimming more that under the boat. Watch this. Well, if you want to figure out how to take a seven foot rod and turn it into two, three and a halfs, that's the way to do it. Wait till they get all the way under the boat and then snatch it real hard. So <laughs> you, you, what you're really feeling for is something different. You know, anytime it feels different, set the hook you know i've had i've had fish that and i guess we all have had this where they'll knock a spinner bait sideways or they'll hit a crankbait you know they don't get it and you throw back in there and then you catch them again so you know be be alert for that and you know uh when i talked one of the things that i did too was i i, I incorporated this into my seminars it's called the four functions of a fishing rod so you should be able to cast it and keep it in the same zip code you should be able to feel what's going on you should be able to set the hook and then play the fish back to the boat. So all that comes into play. And when I say feel that, because of the grass that we're talking about, if you're throwing a spinnerbait and you get a couple of little grass particles on there, you should feel that. You should feel something different when you're doing that. If you're not, you're not paying close enough attention. And when you're fishing your field baits, you got three contact points. If you're fishing a jig or a plastic worm or a craw. So you've got the rod tip, the rod handle. Try setting the line over your thumb your line just as it's coming over the reel, set it over your thumb. That never gets calloused and it gives you a third contact point. And as soon as you feel that, you can react to that. So a good hook set is, is vital to all this stuff. And leave a little slack in your rod when you're setting the hook. When people say, well, why do you do that? I said, imagine that you've put a nail in a piece of wood, you've started it. You can't take the hammer and just set it on there and push it down. You take the hammer back and smack down. When you leave a little slack in your rod, that's the inverse, but it's exactly the same uh, setup is that now you're getting a maximum amount of power. You can put 11 pounds of point uh, of, of pressure on a hook point, so you can drive it through the skull of a bass. Everybody's already done that when you got a good hook set and a sharp hook. So that's another thing. I keep a little diamond file in my pocket, you know, so I can touch up a, a blade when I'm going through there. Because I just did a radio spot on how to how to lose fish. Because if you can figure out a way to lose them, believe me, I've lost them every possible way that you can think of. Drag too loose, drag too tight. Good knot, bad knot, whatever it might be that I've lost fish from a bunch of different ways. Uh, not, not keep, you know, one of the things when you're playing a really big fish, maintain control. I sit down in the kayak and stick your rod tip in the water because then they're working against water pressure rather than the air. And that's a lot more water pressure than there is air pressure. 
So if you can do that, it makes it a little harder on them. And when they go left, turn them back right. When they go right, turn them back left. You know, you're wearing them out when you do that. It's kind of like have a dog on a leash that you're forcing them to do something they really don't want to do and you wear them down a little quicker. And when the water gets to 80, as quick as you can get that fish in the boat, if you're going to release it, you want to get it in. If you don't, they get a buildup of lactic acid. It's like a it's like a full body Charlie horse. And you'll see this on some of our home waters that you'll after some tournaments and not just tournament people, but you'll see the floating fish that doesn't go real well with the residents of the lake. So, you know, there's a lot of little stuff. And if you want to if you want to keep your fish alive, if you've got a, a you know, whether whatever your setup is, if you're a tournament guy and you've got a, uh, a gallon, you've got a, uh, a live well, take two caps of hydrogen peroxide and put it in there. The chemical sign for water is H2O. The chemical sign for hydrogen peroxide is H2O2. So you're getting that many more parts per million of oxygen in there, and it makes it easier for them to breathe. Now, the great American way is if two caps is good, 20 is great. <laughs> well, you'll fry their brains when you do that. They get, they get over-oxygenated. So, you know, that's a, just a little tip if you want to keep your fish alive, whether you're somebody that carries a little cooler with you or if you're somebody that's got a live well, whatever, that that's going to help you a little bit. Good tips. Good tips. Yeah, exactly. Holy cow. I, uh, I, I can't. Uh, I, as soon as we get off here, I'm going to go uh, hit up Amazon and, and uh, maybe order some books because I'm loving the kind of stuff I'm hearing. So, Heck yeah, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you're going to like those books. And I don't care. You know, I, I would you know, when you do personal appearances and again, they're not necessarily haters, but people that want to kind of disprove you a little bit. And I was sitting at Nashville was my home boat show thing. I was away from me, but it was my it was kind of like where I was most known. And uh, I would always have people in the audience say, well, I've been fishing for 60 years and I've done this, this. And I said, run a trolling motor? The guy said, yeah. I said, how many blades of prop got on it? I don't know. I think it's two. I said, you ever have tr trouble catching fish in some of your areas? He said, yeah. I said, put a three-blade three prop on there. And he said, why? I said, it changes the sound of that. And I said, those fish become conditioned. You know, a bass has got a brain half the size of a hazelnut. It's not real smart. So, But they do become conditioned they to – Two blade sound, hook in the mouth, flopped on the carpet. Not a good experience. So, you know, when you change it, and I'd have these guys come back to me and say, you know what? You were right. I said, yeah, exactly. That's why I say, I say you know, here's just a little bit of advice. You do whatever you want. But, you know, there's little stuff like that that makes a difference. It's kind of like the double knot on the braid when people said, you know, that fish broke my braid. I said, the fish didn't break your braid. It slipped. A lot of that braid's got a little bit of a wax coating on it. So if you do the Palomar knot and come back with a clinch knot, you're doubling up that knot, it's not going to come on. You'll have to clip it. It's not going to come untied. That's just not going to happen. So there's a lot of little, and the book is just, I, you know, I, again, I, I've already made my money. Everything I got is paid for. I can never spend all the money I got if I live another 30 years. So the books are my way of telling people, thank you. Uh, here's a little bit of tidbit of information. The first book is called, I'll be Tennesseeing you a history his story and some fish tales and tips. And it's a little bit of my personal story. And I did that because I want people to feel like, you know what, if he can do that, I think I could do that too. So it's a little bit of that. The second book is all fishing. And it's, it's, it's crappie, it's catfish, it's trout, it's bass, it's everything that swims. And it talks about little things that people probably just wouldn't think about, you know, some things that people would say, I would have never thought of that. So I wanted to have that down in a, a written form or if you like to download the Kindle part of it, but either which way, I, 
I, I wanted that information to be available to people. And, you know, when I was first putting the books together, people said, well, you can get $40 for that. And I said, I don't want $40 for it. I said, I want it to be less than $20 because I want that kid that's out there cutting grass that's 12 years old and wanting to buy my book to be able to say, I can afford to buy that. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have to break the bank to do it. So I did it as much as a public service as I did for making a few bucks on the side. I've made a few bucks on the side for my entire life. I've never just had one job. And what's the title of the second book again? 60 Seasons, a a fishing guide. That's the one that you should dog ear and take a, and take a, a, a highlighter and go back in there and saying, I'm going to do that. I'm going to use that. I have people that take that. People have told me, I said, I take, they take that in the boat with them. A gentleman called me the other day or texted me the other day and said, you know, I remember what you said about when the wind blows, pick up a spinnerbait and go to the windblown bank. And he said, I did that. And he said, I caught five fish so fast. And he said, man, I would have never believed that. And the guy said, I've been fishing longer than you have. And I said, it's not, it's not that. It's that paying attention. It's that experience. And then it's being willing to share them. I don't have any secrets. I, I, I want you to catch fish. I want you to f- feel the same success that I do. Then there's nothing quite like, you know, with, with Debbie, when she caught her first five-pound bass, you know, people said, did that make you mad? I said, make me mad. I said, I was tickled to death. You know, I want to see people succeed. I've done mine. I've caught all the fish I need to catch, you know, and I'm not saying I still don't get excited about a big fish. I do. And I'm not saying I don't get lose sleep over the really big ones that I lose. I still do. That's why I keep going back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, well, holy cow, Joey. We've we've covered a ton of tips and uh man, uh, that's and that's why we do this show is you know, for those exact reasons to <clears throat> to help people get out and and catch that same bug that, you know, that we have and and to to grow the sport and and to just, you know, you know, let everybody share in that experience that brings us joy. Cause you know, it's, it's hard to have a bad day when you're having fun fishing. And, uh, you know, and, and you know, just another point to me, it's like, it's almost like when you're teaching your child how to ride a bike or tie their shoe, when that little light bulb goes on above their head, we can do that with people from the fishing side. And I've taught little kids how to fish and fathers and sons or mothers and, and daughters how to fish and thought to myself, and they've come back and said, we would have never known how to do this. And now we can do this for the rest of our lives. And I did a program down here called smart and with single mothers are real teachers. And I taught them how to fish, how to clean the fish, how to do everything with the fish. And somebody said, well, why don't you do that with fathers? I said, well, if you teach fathers how to fish, they go fishing. If you teach mothers, they take their kids. Oh, that's funny, but it's not wrong either. That's bad. <laughs> All right, Joey. Well, we're uh, at about a little over an hour, so I wanted to give you uh, a chance to let folks know where they can uh, um, find your books. I'll actually include links to the books in the show notes. Um, but uh, where can fo- f- folks find you on social media and also uh, what sponsors do you have? You know, I know you said you got a huge list, but you can shout out whoever you want. And I'll make sure that we include them in the show notes as well. Well, the books are available on Amazon and some of the and some of your bookstores, you know, and, you know, <clears throat> and check out the ratings. Check out the rate. I, I welcome people to do that because there's been a lot of people, all five star ratings and people saying, man, I love the book. It made me a better fisherman. I really enjoyed it. The whole nine yards. Uh, as far as sponsors go, gosh, I've got them. You know, th- there's another 30 minutes of show right here. But <laughs> Strike King, Bending Branches, Canine Line, Mid South Tackle, 
uh, slider fishing right here in Lawrenceburg. Little people, uh, AC Shiners is up in the Ohio area, still a family owned business. Um, you know, I've had just so many, so many people uh, that at Jackson Kayak and, uh, you know, it's just great. Frog Togs for Rainwear. You know, I, it's just so many people that have been so, so kind to me and made it easier for me to accomplish what I wanted to accomplish. But there's a bunch of them. Okay. Uh, like I said, uh, um, if you would uh, just send me a list, that way I can include it. Um, also, like your radio show, you know, where is that available? And, uh, you know, anybody else, any place else, like your written media, where can folks find that? Well, the blog posts are on the Jackson Kayak website. And, and I do... Last year, I think I did 30, and they're all educational. And it's not about me. It's about people catching fish and mm -hmm. understanding whether you're in a kayak or you're in a cabin cruiser, you can you can catch fish doing some of the things that I'm talking about. So there is that. Uh, and then the radio station is AM650 WSM, and it's been around for 97 years. Wow. It's the grand old Opry station. It, we're on the World Wide Web. And my and the, it's called Wild Side Radio, and it's a little short. It's like a little ten minute every weekday blurb, and it's not archived that I know of. And we come on at five twenty five a.m. Yeah, and there is I had to remind my kids that there's two five twenty fives. There's that one in the morning, the one in the afternoon. It comes on, and the the plus side of that for people on the East Coast, we're hitting them on drive time, and uh, again we're on the World Wide Web and. It's, you know, it's casual, it's educational, it's a lot of fun. Sometimes it runs eight minutes, sometimes it runs 20 minutes. It's it's just like what's going on. And the, I, it, for me, it's kind of a where to go and what to throw and everything outdoors. It's a, when deer season's on, I'm talking about that. And, you know, it, and the, the hallmark of this show has been, we're not telling people what happened last week. We're telling them what to do right now and next week. For example, you were saying tournament on Monday, you're going to be right on the full moon. The full moon's going to be it's going to be July 3rd. And if you think the moon phases don't matter, you read my first book and I'm telling you the moon phases make a tremendous amount of difference. Yes, they do. Yes. Gotcha. They do. Gotcha. All right, um and uh what's the name of the little silver tube? It's Mid-South Tackle and it's the, the number is 0095 Monteleone Silver Tube. And they they're they, they make a, a pro tube that's a little bit longer and they've got a you want to make sure if you order those they've got a lead head get the eighth ounce sickle head and i'm telling you bring the pliers with you because you're not going to lose any fish on that sickle head it's unbelievable and there's also a 0650 it's a silver tube with red glitter and we've caught a bunch of fish on those too and again i don't get anything out of that the people that run that company are the nicest people and it's a family-owned business good Christian people. So I said, Hey, you know what? I've made mine. This is your family making some money. And so, you know, that's the other thing. If I can help somebody, I am more than glad to do that. Well, and then I, just the fact that you came on and shared all this stuff with us is, is yes. I, I'm grateful that for that as well. And, and uh, I can't tell you how much that means to Susie and I, that you, you know, agree. Uh, we're grateful, gracious enough to come on and, and share that with us. So, yes. Thank you. So hit me up again. We'll do something on, on uh, fall fishing or whatever it is you'd like to do. Or, you know, absolutely. We talked about junk fishing that, you know, how we outfit for that. And, you know, fishing, I call it ultra light, ultra fight. You know, that it's fun throwing <laughs> that ultra bite stuff, ultra yes. light stuff. So, yeah. Any time if I can be of service, please, please do. I, 
I, when I, I did a lot of public speaking, one of the things I used to ask people, I said, do you know what the highest card in the deck is? And they'd say aces. And I said, that's right. If you want to be aces, it's attitude, which can change everything for you. It's C is for what, what guys don't want to give, and it's not commitment, and it's not cash. It is commitment. But uh, C is for commitment. E is for enthusiasm, which is infectious. And S is for service, and whether that's to your church, your country, or your community. And you'll be if you do all that, you'll be aces. I promise you. Amen. That's awesome. 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 Um, all right. Well, uh, Joey, thank you so much for coming on. We will definitely have you back on. I'll definitely uh, reach back out and we'll see yes. what, what other topics we want to pick your brain. I'm, you know, see what I, I find in the books. Cause I think that's awesome too. And, and just the, the simple or the uh, simplifying alone, I, I go out with the kitchen sink and you're right. I don't throw <laughs> half yes. of it and it, it just, it's more weight for me to lug around in my kayak and it, you know, so that's definitely something I need to work on. So I look forward to maybe talking to you about that a little bit more too. So, well, sincerely, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I never get tired of doing this. Awesome. Well, I, yes. and, and thank you so much um, guys. <clears throat> thanks for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of Bass Fishing New uh, for noobs here on the Paddle and Fin podcast, where we bring you the techniques, tricks, and tips to help you rip more lips. So guys tune in, uh, make sure you check out the show notes for all of Joey's uh, sponsors and uh, you know, check him out, check out his books and uh, his writing on uh, Jackson. That's where I found him. And uh, thanks again, Joey. We appreciate it. And we will catch you all on the flip side. All right. Happy Thank you, guys. Uh, and I forgot to do the closer. All right. We'll close it. Thank you, guys.